Hey, Linda. Hi, Emily. It is so great to hear your voice and have you here. As some of you guys might know, Greg is on vacation, so I roped in one of ESPN's best, and it is Linda Cohn. But Linda, I got to start with this. Netflix's Queer Eye for the Straight Guy is heading to Philadelphia for its fifth season, and they released a mini-episode on Tuesday where they gave a makeover to none other than Gritty, who, of course, prides himself on <laughs> being rough around the edges. So, Linda... If you could give a Queer Eye makeover to anyone in the NHL or anyone hockey-adjacent, who are you nominating to the Fab Five? Wow, you, you had me at a gritty makeover, to be honest with you. I'm still visualizing that taking place and that, uh, you know, the NHL's most famous mascot allowed that to happen. Uh, but as for mere humans and who could use that kind of makeover, wow, where do I begin? And you just threw this on me, so I have to think on my feet. Uh, and I have to think of someone. Wouldn't, uh, let's see, wouldn't our friend and colleague, Barry Melrose, uh, wouldn't that Ooh, be fun? I, mean, I would love to see them go through their, his closet and see how much denim he has. Yeah. <laughs> and what, what do they think of his various suits? Many, which I adore. And yes. also the look, you know, because sometimes that mullet comes back now and then. Um, but, uh, Barry always dressed for success. I just want to make sure that uh, he gets a passing grade from those guys. Yeah, I would love to see him with a little bit of mullet wax. They always give guys beard wax. I'm sure there's mullet wax also. Oh, wow. Beard wax and mullet <laughs> wax. I'm sure they're right. I'm sure it's the same product, Emily. Yeah, you're right. It's both well, hair. Guys, we have... Right? It's all okay, hair. It's all hair. Yeah. We've got a great show for you today. As I said, Greg's on vacation, but we've got the goat, Linda Cohn, in the house. We've got Tim Lewicki of NHL Seattle and the Oakview Group talking about Climate Pledge Arena. All the latest on the NHL's restart. What the heck happened with the draft lottery? Let's start <laughs> the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey. Featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Welcome to ESPN on ice. It's the show where ESPN talks about hockey. I'm Emily Kaplan, national NHL reporter. And I'm Linda Cohn. And may I say... Emily, did you pick out that uh, background music, or was that a Greg production? Because it sounds like old school, the dating game. Look it up, young people. <laughs> uh, go to YouTube and like you're, you know, and they're behind door. No you know, it just was really very fun. <laughs> well, once we can finally get into live events and seeing people face to face again, this means that we have to host a live ESPN on Ice. That's going to double as a dating game. <laughs> That's great. That's a good, you know, that's, that's a new concept. You can put a, a, a hockey backdrop to the old school dating game. And if there's anyone that could do it, it's you two. You guys can make it happen. It's true. We'll have to clear by HR and legal first. But uh, for oh, our first segment this week, yeah, exactly. Uh, we're going to talk about the draft lottery. And holy cow, what a draft lottery it was. If you did not pay attention, the Red Wings, the lowly Red Wings who had a terrible record, only got fourth pick. The Ottawa Senators, who had doubled the chance of the number one pick, are going to pick third and fifth. It's the LA Kings at number two, and Team E, the unnamed placeholder team that is competing in this 2014 tournament that gets the right to choose Alexis Lafreniere first overall. Now, Linda, I think the question everyone wants to know right now, was this fair? 
Well, here's the thing. I'm not going to be a hypocrite. Uh, uh, I've been very consistent on this. Okay, perfect world, typical NHL. You would not have had this uh, wild card factor of having the placeholder, having Team E, which, oh, by the way, I said on Twitter when this happened, who thought the A team was cool? Team E is the <laughs> coolest because after they won to have a shot at the number one overall pick. Um, let's face it. The I want NHL a Team E t-shirt. Why not? The NHL got amazing. Emily, NHL needs a lot of buzz all the time. You know, no, Mm -hmm. no bigger fan of this league than me. Uh, but, uh, I loved this result. The look on Bill Daly's face. I'm not sure he loved the result when when it wasn't the Kings that got number one or any other team or Detroit or Ottawa or Buffalo, uh, you name it. And I feel for those fan bases. Don't get me wrong. I know it's not a joking matter. And, you know, to Detroit's credit, no one could have accused them of tanking for the number one overall. Mm-hmm. I believe that team just wasn't good. I mean, there was you know very little talent level. So for those who say, well, you know, that's what they get. No, that's not the case. Not that year, not this past year, not this league. Uh, there was no tanking. And that's why the NHL uh, for the last whatever, since 1995, since uh, even in the 2000s, have uh, forced themselves for good reason and got creative. So we wouldn't have those situations where, uh, where you know, the worst team with the worst record gets the number one overall pick. But I have no problem with this, Emily. I think this is adds drama, fun, uh, something else to look forward to. Now, again, all all rules are off. The changes, this will not happen if we do not, as you know, have a restart to the NHL season, in this case, right to the playoffs. Then uh, this won't happen this way. But we're all hopeful we do have a Stanley Cup playoff season uh, in this strange uh, COVID season. And if that's the case, why not? I love it. I don't care if the losers of the qualifying round have an t- equal chance to get Alexei Lafreniere. I think it's going to be fun. Firstly, you're just schooling me on how to pronounce his first name. I love it. Um, but you see why one of us is probably a Hall of Fame broadcaster and one of us is just oh. a lowly reporter. But uh, when we talk about fairness, uh, you know, this is how someone in the league framed it to me. And I think it was a great point. Nothing right now is fair. Let's just put it out there. Like no one signed up for this. Nothing is as it is. But if you have a team and the two examples I were given were the Edmonton Oilers and the Pittsburgh Penguins that were near locks to make the playoffs. But instead of making the playoffs, they have to play teams like the Chicago Blackhawks or the Montreal Canadiens who really had no business sniffing in. Then the least you could do for these teams is give them a little bonus and saying, hey, you have a chance to lose in the first round, but you also have a chance at this kid. And I think that's what's fair. Now, the question that everybody else is asking right now is, Okay, we get to this playoff round, and let's say a team, maybe the Montreal Canadiens, falls in a 2-0 hole against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Are the players going to tank? Now, personally, I don't think players want to do this. They are super competitive. It would have to come from a higher level, not just the coach. It would come from the GM or above saying, hey, you've got to sit your star players, rest carry price. And I, I just don't see it as the NHL's culture. What say you? I agree with you. You don't find that in this league. I'm sorry. So for the people who think that, oh, it's fixed and just like the Penguins somehow were able to get Mari Lemieux because they tanked and back in the day in 84 when you could tank and get the, be the worst team and get the number one overall pick. Are you telling me Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin 
are going to find a way to lose to the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, you got to be kidding. I don't see Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl doing it either. Um, and I also don't see the Montreal Canadiens, even if they try their darndest to beat the Penguins, <laughs> they just won't be able to. Um, it's, it's just, you know, look at their rosters with all due respect. I mean, Carey Price can be a world beater. But I'm sorry, there's just too much talent on Pittsburgh who probably will get Jake Gensel back as well. So uh, I don't see it. And I don't think we're going to have to worry about that happening. And and then, you know, people ask me because I'm close to the New York Rangers. Oh, Linda, what would you rather have? You know, Alexei Lafreniere or, you know, the Rangers going to the next round. And I'm saying in this crazy postseason Mm-hmm. I would not bet against, and this is not being a homer in me because I gave up the homer label a long time ago, that with what the Rangers have and if they could pick it up where they left off, which as we all know how hot Panarin and Zibanejad were and how great their goaltending uh, had been late in the season, uh, you can't tell me they don't have a shot to win the Stanley Cup. So why would a team that has, I believe, a legit shot to win the Cup, and I'm not talking Montreal, um, you know, type of thing, then why would they even, you know, why would they even think? Why would they even think to mess, miss an opportunity where they can win a Stanley Cup, no matter what kind of season this is? No, absolutely. So we've been talking a lot about this kid. And in case you don't know why he's a consensus number one, I'll just put it this way. There's only been two players in CHL history to win the Player of the Year award twice. One is Sidney Crosby. The other is Alexei Lafreniere. So this is the real deal. But he's not going to go to a team like the Detroit Red Wings or Buff- oh, Ottawa Senators. I'll be kind to the Sabres, where he's going to have to sit for two or three years in irrelevancy on a really bad team. He can probably go to a team that's on the cusp yeah. of making the playoffs. So what is the best fit for him? And out of the 16 teams that are now eligible for him, who do you think needs him most or could use him most? Yeah, I, this is what I love about this concept. Uh, if I'm Alexei Lafreniere, I'm like, hey, I don't have to be Jack Eichel. I don't have to carry a team on mm-hmm. my back and deal, and I'm being serious, and dealing with borderline nervous breakdowns because to handle, A, the media, handle uh, my uh, personal goals, my individual goals as a guy that knows how to win and goes to a team that all they do is lose – and I can just sneak in, concentrate on my game and my talent, and I don't mm-hmm. feel that weighted pressure on me that can get into my head and affect my play. And so what team could use him the most? Obviously, the Montreal Canadiens could, you know, they, they can. Right. I mean, obviously, the fit is perfect. You know, it's, a, you know, uh, you know, Montreal Canadian fans are going to love this kid. Quebec kid. Yeah, there you go. Um, but they need scoring. They need playmakers. And that's exactly what he is. He's not a generational player. He is not Connor McDavid. He is not Sidney Crosby. But you know what? He he is damn good. And uh, I think the Canadians, they just, sh- you know, shoot out to me as a team that they're going to lose to the Penguins anyway. So, you know what? Just concentrate on winning that draft lottery and getting making that 12.5% chance of, of winning it among the playoff qualifying round losers go in your favor. So that how about you? I mean, I, I pick Montreal. 
The team that I've been really thinking about is the Columbus Blue Jackets. And just because I love the way Jarmo Kikalainen built this team, he built it the right way. He's got a lot of good pieces there. But ever since Artemi Panarin left, they really need that special playmaker up front. And I really do feel like if you add in a talent like him in a year or two, they could be a damn scary team again. So I just feel like the Columbus fans kind of deserve some good juju after what happened yes, to them last year. Yes, another team that needs scoring him. You're absolutely yes. right. So you know? that's my pick there. All right, a team that really needs scoring because they've got no scores yet is the NHL Seattle team. And we have no idea what they're going to be called yet, although I've heard it could happen in the next couple of weeks this summer. We could Why get is game. it taking so long, Emily? You're in the end. No, you're in the inside. Are, are they waiting for the right time? There is no right time. Probably I've during gotten- this lockdown would have been the right time because nothing's going on as we wait till hopefully uh, camps open July 10th. It's amazing because I feel like I've gotten every answer in the book. At first, the talking point was, oh, there's no many, too many cooks in the kitchen. They're, the ownership group is too big. There's not one singular voice. We have to run it by everyone. Then I heard it was a trademark issue. Oh, it's just getting held up a trademark. Then it's not the right time because of coronavirus. Then it's not the right time because of social unrest. So you know what? I've got no answer. But a guy that has some answers is Tim Lewicki. He is with NHL Seattle in the Oakview Group, and he joins us right now. Now joining us on the line is the co-founder of the Oakview Group. It is Tim Lewicki. And Tim, we talked last week about this very exciting naming initiative by the NHL Seattle Arena. It's in downtown Seattle. And I just had to get you on the podcast because it was fascinating. I was uh, blown away by the conversation of what you guys are trying to do. But the one part of the story I feel like it didn't get enough play. Explain to me how all of this was kind of inspired or part of it by Billie Eilish. So <clears throat> that is an interesting, there are many interesting stories around that partnership with Amazon, but one of them is <clears throat> about four or five months ago, uh, our company has what's called the Arena Alliance. So 29 of the top 32 arenas in North America are part of our group and we help route a lot of the tours. So one of the tours we were routing at the time was for Billie Eilish. And the guys that do all the routing came in and said, you will not believe what she's trying to do. She's going to every arena where she's about to book a date, and she's asking them to get rid of single-use plastic for the night of her show. So she'd like them not to use plastic straws. She'd like them not to use plastic cups, and she'd like them not to serve beer and soft drink and plastic bottles on the night of her show. And believe it or not, most of the arenas are really trying hard to figure out how to accommodate her because she's one of the hottest touring artists in the world today. So I'm like, what? That is an amazing thing for someone to try to pull off. And instead of saying, take take the chocolate M&Ms out of my back of house bowl, like some of the old rock bands used to do, or give me more money, or I want more percentage on the merchandise, or I want your parking revenue. How refreshing that this young woman comes along and asks everyone to help set a whole new standard for how we're going to operate the buildings, even if it's one night. So when we got into these conversations with Amazon about how we could change a, a building and how we could make a difference in the planet going forward, one of the things that came up on sustainability was, can we get rid of single-use plastic? Now, I was naive, thinking, sure, Billy could do it on one night. We could do it 365 nights, so let's just do it. But here's the issue. Uh, when you look at the industries 
which traditionally provide the majority of food and beverage for a customer in arenas. It happens to be beer, water, and soft drink. And if you think about how you ultimately buy those products, you're receiving them usually either in a plastic bottle or a plastic cup. And as much as you come along and dream about how you can make a difference and eliminate all single-use plastic, think about how else you would have to serve the soft drink, malt beverage, or water. And so we learned that we had to go back to our soft drink partner and our malt beverage partner, and they had to reinvent and, and had to greatly accelerate their planning on how they were going to produce the product in bottles for our arena going forward. So we had two of the largest companies in the world suddenly having to think outside the box on how we can make a commitment to, to eliminate all single-use plastic. And it was all from this one little idea that Billie Eilish created for her tour. So we have since gotten back to her and thanked her profusely for inspiring us and being a part of what we're trying to do. Tim, that's an incredible story, and there's so many layers I want to get to regarding those arenas and making them successful better than you. Uh, you've been doing it for so long. But when we talk about the name, uh, you know, back in the day, as you know, I worked in Seattle before ESPN. I used to go to the old Key Arena because that's what it was called back in the early days when the Sonics were there. And uh, it was a huge venue, one of the best in the country, uh, a lot of musical entertainment. But now, as we all know, uh, Seattle has a new name to that arena. The Climate Pledge Arena will be the name and is the name. A lot of excitement regarding that, taking a stand, being original. Did you get any pushback or that you know of, um, you know, regarding uh, going all out? And, and many thought, who would have thought the arena would get a name before the team would get a name? <laughs> so uh, you, you, we did get pushed back on a few different fronts. So first, going carbon neutral, uh, some people saw that as a political statement. There are some people that believe that there is no global warming, that this is just um, a cycle that the earth goes through. Um, I, I I know that there are, are people out there that think at the end of the day that um, carbon neutral is is more in line with a, a democratic value. Uh, we tend to try to get along with all sides, and we tend to be non-political. But we just live in an age now where everything's political, it seems like. And so you would think that coming along and ultimately making a commitment to saying, I, I think the planet's sick. I think much of what we're dealing with, with our weather, with our environment, with our diseases, with this virus, is in some aspect tied back to the earth. You look at the melting, you look at the flooding, you look at all of the things we're dealing with, and you would think we can all come together, at least on a subject as it relates to our planet, and agree our planet's sick, and we should do what we can now to try to amend what we've been doing, alter what we've been doing, reverse what we've been doing, and come along and take some sort of accountability back towards the world that our kids and our grandkids are going to inherit. But even that step has been controversial. I've gotten some fairly interesting emails and um, comments back from some people. Uh, it is not meant to be political. We are not choosing sides. Some think that 
we're doing it because of the nature of Seattle and its political leaning. Couldn't be further from the truth. But the reality is the governor, uh, Jay Inslee, and the mayor, Mayor um, Durkin, they're, they're both um, unbelie- uh, unbelievably committed to the environment. And so we get along with both well. We, we find that state to be one where they completely understand what we're doing. And whether people think we're taking sides politically, we're not. We're taking sides for the earth. And it would seem to me that we should all take sides to, uh, on behalf of the earth. So every aspect of what we did, some people don't love the name and say we could have found a better name. But the reality is we had to find a, a name that is aligned as a not-for-profit that is um, structured and focused on doing great things going forward for the earth. Because part of what we've committed to do is raise $100 million over the next 20 years for -for not-for-profit ventures, ideas, and institutions that are geared towards the planet and trying to heal the planet. So the name had to be something that was a clean, clear not-for-profit that didn't create any conflicts for us. Finally, you, you, you can't put a name on an arena and then not fulfill your obligations towards leading the charge on not only climate change and the climate pledge, which our company had to commit to and, and take the pledge, and we did, but also carbon neutral and sustainability and elimination of single-use plastic. And as much as that sounds easy, the difficult part of this and where we created an awful lot of um, friction is, okay, now how do we live it every day? How do we fulfill the expectations that our fans, our customers, the National Hockey League, maybe one day the National Basketball Association, but in particular, everyone out there in the world watching us, do we ultimately live that dream? Do we ultimately live up to the standards that we're creating? And can we fulfill the ambition and the vision that the name creates? And that's the hard part. Is you, anyone, well, not anyone, um, Amazon's a fairly unique company, but there are a lot of people that probably could have put that name on their building or their stadium. You had to live it, though. You had to, you had to wrap your arms around it. You had to be passionate about it. And then you have to dedicate your organization on a daily basis to making sure that you fulfill that dream and that you care about the planet and you understand that this platform can make a difference if you can make sure you follow through. And if any fans don't like the name, in my opinion, they could just call it the Greenhouse, which is maybe just uh, my call to your brother to have the team color be green. Uh, but my question for you is, I know this was a very expensive project to begin with. As Linda mentioned, it's a historic arena right in downtown um, Seattle, which you are renovating. How much more expensive was it when you had to figure out how to put in all of these initiatives uh, to make this such a green climate pledge arena? So the guy that doesn't get any credit, who I have to acknowledge here, is my partner, David Bonderman. So the way we're set up in Seattle is that um, my company is kind of the managing partner of the arena. But we're really 50-50 partners with NHL Seattle, who owns half of the arena, and all of the hockey team. My company couldn't own all of the hockey team. My company couldn't own any of the hockey team because we have another arena we're building in New York with the New York Islanders, and the commissioner looked at us and felt we were a bit of a conflict of interest. So so we got that. But when we began this journey with David Bonderman and his partners in Seattle, 
and that's Jerry Bruckheimer is involved in that group, and David Wright and the Wright family that own the Space Needle, really a, a phenomenal group of people. When we started this venture, uh, remember, we didn't have an NBA or an NHL franchise. So we won the bid and committed to spending $650 million. And what made it even more remarkable is we committed to saving the roof and preserving that historic landmark from the 1962 World's Fair that occurred in Seattle and building a brand-new arena, 850,000 square feet, underneath the roof and then dropping the roof back on. Now, my engineers told me, I'm not sure you could do it. My architects, except for populists, said, not sure you could do it. Our competitor, AEG, that really ran the arena, and it was actually an account that I acquired back when I was building and running AEG. So they competed and bid against us and told everyone they'll never pull it off, and they don't have the wherewithal, nor can they, from an engineering standpoint, complete their vision. So we started there, didn't have a team committed to $650 million, had everybody telling us you're never going to pull off the design engineering aspects of the vision that you've created. Before we let you go, I wanted to ask you this. What will your arenas look like? I know you've had to have thought about it post-COVID, when the doors can be open to sports fans, mm-hmm. when the doors can be open to concert goers uh, like myself. So that is probably the most important question we're all dealing with today. This virus will always be out there. Maybe we can taint it. Maybe we can treat it. Maybe we can have a vaccine that the majority of the population will ultimately take. But let's remember, there is a percentage of our population that won't take a vaccine. So we're always going to have to deal with it, which means we in the industry have to rely on a few things. First, calm down. We're going to get through this. Follow what they're telling us to do. Stick to that guideline. Have the discipline to make sure, forget yourself. Let's not infect anyone else if you happen to catch it. That's why we wear face masks. The face mask is not for you. It's for me. The face mask isn't for me. It's for my family. And so if we do the things necessary today to follow the guidelines created and science and technology catch up, and they will, we will by this time next year have gotten to a point where we put it in a box. But we're still going to have to deal with this. And in the global world we live in, we're going to have to deal with epidemics and pandemics going forward. So arenas have to change. Grab and go is a really good example. So the other part of our Amazon partnership is we got technology that's called Amazon Go, where people could go in, they choose their own Pepsi, or they choose their own Miller or Coors, or they choose their own Coca-Cola. They grab that product, they grab what they want to eat, they grab their popcorn, They we find a way to eliminate counters, point of purchase, and that hand-to-hand contact that we have when we go buy a hot dog or a hamburger. We're going to have to think past that. We're going to have to find ways to sanitize our air system. We're going to have to find ways to ultimately eliminate as much touch as we have in our arenas. But most of all, very similar to the way we clean buildings now, we're always going to have to sanitize buildings and be thinking through that. We're going to have to monitor our employees to make sure that they're healthy before they come to the arena, not as they arrive at the arena. We are going to have to be more sophisticated in order to return confidence and trust from the consumer back into the experience. But we will, and we will do what we have to do following the scientists and following the technology and following the entrepreneurs where, one, we will put this in a box. 
two, we will then take that box and find ways to find a wellness health system that people could rely on to protect them long term. And three, most importantly, we as a society need music and sports, and we need to come together and feel good about that experience because there is a part of us that needs the passion to come together as a community and celebrate those teams that represent us and be able to ultimately have that in our lives on a daily basis, to listen to the artists live that we want to go and listen to and be a part of that experience. We're going to get you that experience back. The, the industry is going to get you that experience back. We will make it through this period of time. We will ultimately open up the live experience and the sporting experience again, and we will get back to where we were as long as we do two things. Learn what it takes today to get through what we have to, to sacrifice in order to show the discipline to curve it. And secondly, that we as an industry accept the challenge. It is our obligation to make sure that we earn your trust again by making sure the experience is one of health, of wellness, and of passion. And we will get back to that soon. Promise you. It's awesome, Tim. Well, we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us. Anytime you want to talk about hockey, I'm on. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> say hi to Todd for us. And again, we really you, appreciate and we learned a lot. We will. Thank you. Stay healthy, everybody. Cheers. All right. Thanks to Tim Lewicki for joining us. Now, Linda, we are Tuesday, June 30th right now. And I for sure as heck thought we were going to have a little bit of clarity on what the NHL's hub cities were going to be at the very least, let alone what the protocols were going to be. The NHL came out and they were one of the first leagues to lay out their plans. And now they're one of the last of the leagues. The NBA is already in Orlando figuring it out and they just feel disorganized. So the first question I want to talk about is the positive test. The NHL came out and said of their phase two, the guys that are participating in voluntary workouts, they've tested more than 250 guys and 15 have tested positive. And the NHL is aware of another 11 players who have tested positive since June 8th. That's 26 players. What do you make of these positive tests so far? Should this spook us of the idea that the NHL can get started this summer? You know, it's easy for us to sit here and, you know, as we tape, do this podcast and talk about it. But you know, got to think of what the NHL player is thinking about. I think that mm-hmm. that that amount, the percentage, is equal uh, as we speak of what the NBA uh, players, the amount of NBA players, yep. considering their uh, group, um, it's who about is going 5%. to Orlando. Right. So uh, it doesn't blow my mind. Uh, it doesn't. I don't have super anxiety over it. I don't have super concern, at least not yet. And to the NHL taking its time, I have no problem with that. I have no problem with Gary Bettman and Bill Daly making sure they get it right. As we know, there's a lot of chatter regarding this restart for the NBA in Orlando in their little bubble um, because there are a lot of players, as we talked about, even that are have not tested positive, are deciding not to go. And I think you're going to see more of those type of players just because even once they get there, and they get, which they start doing July 7th and 8th and 9th, they start making their mm-hmm. way to Orlando. Once they uh, see the setup, they uh, I would not be surprised if you see uh, uh, not a mass exit, but you see players saying, you know what? I have second thoughts. You have to respect my wishes. And of course, the league has to respect their wishes. Now let's go to the NHL. I think we're, we have a situation where that is quite possible because a lot of these players, everything that I've read and heard, and of course, many of them speak anonymously, which I don't blame them. Um, they want to see how it's laid out. They feel, and Emily, you mm-hmm. can speak to this as well, 
they feel they've been in a little in the dark uh, about how phase three and phase four, especially phase four, is going to be played out and how the health and safety protocols are. So I know that picking the hub cities are as a, at a tortoise pace right now, but I think the league is doing what it can to get those choices right to help keep these players safe. But, you know, fingers crossed, Emily. I mean, I would not be surprised either way uh, if we do have it or we don't have it, meaning a playoff se- se- uh, series season. For sure. I say as right now, I feel like it's a more likelier than not situation just because we've gotten so far. But I'm still of the belief I need to visualize it until I can believe it's happening. Um, but as for the hub cities, the situation we're in now is that Vegas and Toronto are the presumed favorites. That said, we have seen some people get a little bit spooked, especially on the player side, about the spike we're seeing in Nevada. And it's becoming increasingly more likely we could get two Canadian hub cities. And the reason we haven't gotten this answer yet, and we would have gotten it by now, is because they're trying to group this in with all of this discussions about the Phase 3, which is training camp, and Phase 4, which is games protocol, and also trying to sneak in CBA negotiations. And if you know anything <laughs> about the NHL and NHLPA, like that's not exactly their favorite thing or the thing they're best at. In fact, they like to be really bad at it and have work stoppages. So they're trying to cram a ton in. Um, but I think you make the best point where a lot of players right now don't know how they feel because they can't see it all in front of them. They don't know what their day-to-day life is going to look like in the bubble. They don't know who's going to be there with them, although I think they have been told it's very unlikely, especially in the early stages, that their family will be able to come. Um, and I think once we start hearing all the information, I've been told at least by one agent, one GM told me, there's rumors of guys around the league who are already planning of opting out, and once they hear what it is, I think it's going to be more and more. Now, you know, what, what do you think about that? Emily, I'm not surprised. And that's a great uh, statement you just made and, and, and due to your hard work of finding this out, because I am not surprised with that. I truly believe players are being cautious. They don't want to be the first to opt out, um, you know, and put a name to it. They're sort of waiting and they know they'll be in their right. They have their right. Every player has a right to say, you know what, and not face abuse or criticism for saying, you know mm-hmm. what, I'm going to skip this year. And so, um, you know, it's sad for the hockey fan. Um, I know there's still a, a small contingent. I think uh, we're in the majority because we want a Stanley Cup playoff season. But there is a small contingent that says, you know what, let's wait till next year. Um, and I respect that. I respect that hockey fan as well because everyone has a right to their opinion. But first and foremost, it's all about the players, and they deserve to have a say. And if they want to opt out, and if this never happens, well, that's the way it goes. It never happens, you know, because we just don't know enough right now. Mm-hmm. Now, Linda, I did mention the CBA negotiations, and I don't want to get into the nitty-gritty of it because, to be quite frank, a lot of it's boring. A lot of it has to do with the financials and escrow, and has a conversation about escrow ever been sexy? In my opinion, no. no. (laughs) But I will tell you this. If I told you at this point maybe five months ago that there would not only be a global pandemic, but because of this global pandemic, the NHL and its players had to re- uh, open CBA talks, and there is a possibility that when they sign this extension, players will be going to the 2022 Olympic Games in Beijing, which now, in my opinion, is somewhat likely. What would you have said? 
I would have been in shock, of course. First of all, you had me at having a global pandemic that would right, shut of course, our country of course. down, you know. But then after that, because of what we had heard in the past, it would have been shocking. But yeah, and and you're right about talking escrow. Uh, it's like another language for me. I don't understand any of it. You're brilliant. You and it's Greg, not fun. Re- Really no. nail it. Like, I mean, if anyone, and I'm sure your listeners are well aware, man, your stuff that you guys put out on ESPN.com and social media, it helps people like me, broadcast types, <laughs> to understand what the heck is going on. And, and you, and you talk in layman's terms, which is great. But, um, everything I've read from what you and Greg have written, um, I don't, I don't, I'm not surprised. I mean, First of all, the players have had a lot of time on their hands to rethink things. That's number one. And number two, uh, you know, there's change. It's uh, There's a lot of change. So it's really funny when you think about it. But to answer your question, no, I never would have thought that. Well, it is a possibility, folks. By the time you listen to this podcast, you could be imagining Patrick Laine, you know, wearing that finished sweater and Austin Matthews leading Team USA to gold. Who's to say? But uh, now it is time for our favorite segment of the week. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Our weekly look at sad hyperbole and strange narratives of the hockey media. Good one, Randy. Good one. Well, you know, it is our favorite segment of the week, but really, let's be honest, it's Greg's favorite segment of the week. He loves <laughs> Phil Kessel loves hot dogs because he gets to pick one media member who has a silly take and just rip him to shreds and get into full-on Greg sports radio mode. And you know what? It's Ladies' Day here. I set the agenda. I decided we're going to make it a positive one. Now, Linda, we announced the nominees for the, actually the inductees, rather, for the Hockey Hall of Fame. And that includes a media wing. And I just thought it would be interesting to discuss which hockey writer for me or hockey broadcaster for you, you think is deserving of going in. Now, I'll go first. I want to nominate, this is a guy who was nominated this year and didn't get the Elmer Ferguson Memorial Award, Mark Mulvoy. And uh, he's a longtime mm. writer and editor at Sports Illustrated. Great pick. And what he did, which was so unique, is he was the only American, in my opinion, I, I, in my research, who covered the 1972 Summit Series and really broke down the curtain to Soviet training camps in the 1980s because he was the first foreigner to be given access there. So he's done a lot with Bobby Orr over the years. He's covered some incredible stories, but I'd love to see him recognized for his work. Linda, who's your pick for broadcasters? Well, first I want to mention, I think that's a great selection by you. I mean, I grew up, you know, collecting my Sports Illustrated, and I'm mm-hmm. obviously a lot older than you. And he was the only guy that bit. wrote about hockey in Sports Illustrated. You know, I mean, yeah. you you had like, I remember reading about like the like the great, like, uh, you know, great backstories on amazing players, um, the great Montreal Canadian teams, the New York Islander teams, uh Great coverage of Wayne Gretzky. Anything that was a hot take, anything that made headlines in the NHL, uh, it wasn't a little paragraph or three paragraphs in Sports Illustrated. It was it would cover story material, and it was always Mark Mulvoy. So good job, Emily. Um, that's great. I that's a name I forgot all about. Um, broadcasters. Wow, it was tough to name one. Of course, the first one that comes to mind is my good friend Kenny Albert, who does the Rangers. But I I cannot pick the him best. because the guy. He first of all, he's the most humble human ever, the greatest human yes. ever. 
um, and and unselfish. And but he does so many different sports. So it's not primarily mm-hmm. New York Rangers hockey, although obviously he loves it and aces New York Rangers hockey, and nobody knows it better. Um, but I have one uh, one guy from. Um, you know, two guys in North America, one from here in the U.S. and another in Canada. And uh, I have two quick stories. Uh, Pete Weber, um, passion mm, for the Nashville Predators, longtime Predators voice, uh, just so great, uh, promotes the game, promotes this team. He's fun. He's a perfect fit. He's a he he, he uh, shines bright. He's so reflective of that city and that team and that passion. So I love Pete Weber. But in in a Nor- in Canada, I'll always have a place in my heart for Jim Hewson, who used to do the mm. Vancouver Canucks for a long time and now does a game or two um, uh, a week on CBC and national broadcast. And most biggest reason why I get to got to hear him so much. Not because I was able to hear Hockey Night in Canada or Gissel Gets Vancouver Canuck um, games that were picked up back in the day. No, when my son was younger, he's now 24, Dan, he um, he would play the NHL video games back in the day. I mean, we're talking with Kevin Weeks and Arthur Zerbe were the Hurricanes goalies. Okay, so uh, Carolina was his favorite team back then. <laughs> and, um, and it always would be the voice of Jim Eusen on those NHL video games. And I was like... That is great. So that brings back great memories as a mom to see my son, Dan, playing that video game and playing a hockey video game and hearing Jim's amazing voice uh, on those early days of NHL 2K or whatever they call it. Um, and it was fantastic. So just there it is. Those are my picks. I think those are excellent picks. Never pegged you as a video game gal, but I love it. Absolutely love it. Learn <laughs> something new every day. All right. Well, now it's time for some listener mail because we got a bunch and Kevin asked us and we kind of answered this before, but what do you think the chances of the playoffs actually happen this year? He guessed 50 percent, 75 percent. If you had to attach a number to it, Linda, what would you put right now? Well, I think we're going to I think playoffs are going to start. I I think 75 if I had to attach Mm. a number, maybe 80. Um, Mm. uh, Maybe I find the positive. Uh, and I, but I just feel if you were to ask me about the NBA or MLB, I would say the percentage goes very low and maybe 20 to 30%, uh, that they'd actually finish a postseason. But I believe in what Gary Bettman and Bill Daly are trying to do and attempting to do. And hockey players, as we all know, Emily, are different and in a positive mm-hmm. way because they love the game and they want to play and they usually don't put money ahead of anything compared to some of the other leagues. And they have a right to do that if they want to, these other leagues. But hockey players are different, and they want to get on the ice, and they want to find a way to make this happen and start it. So I believe 75 to 80% that we're going to see a start of a Stanley Cup playoff season. I love that you clarified start because you're right. I think my answer is, can they start? Of course they can start. Will it all melt down a week or two in? I'm far less confident about that. Something we talked about before we got on, though, and I think would be really interesting for our, our listeners, though, you were saying the sport you're most confident that can come back is football, the NFL. Yes. Would you want to expand on that? Yes, because uh, you asked me that, and I didn't hesitate. Of the four major, which ones, which sport do you think would come back uh, flawlessly? And no offense to the uh, commissioners of the other leagues, because like I said, they're trying to do their best. Uh, but the NFL has too much going on. It makes too much money. 
Uh, and this is not something like Roger Goodell. So I'm not crediting him in any way. I'm just saying that they have more wiggle room. Okay. They can delay their season. They can give us one exhibition game, maybe two. Nobody needs NFL preseason games, by the way. And so there's more to work with. By a delay, they have the opportunity because of the calendar and because they play outside and because they can play in any kind of weather. They can delay it a month or maybe two months and get a full season in. And so I truly believe, and there's just so much at stake, so much more money uh, at stake. And, you know, there's also betting to be concerned of. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. but that's a big part. And nobody wants to talk about it. But more, uh, more than any of the major sports, uh, betting is a big chunk of the economy and, and the popularity of the NFL. And plus, as an NFL fan that I am, I'm going to be so bummed with all these incredible storylines. Uh, you know, a te- players going in different teams uh, that if we don't have an NFL season. So um, I believe the NFL, we will have a season uh, this season coming up. Yeah. All right. This is a question from Jose. And it's uh sorry, Linda. It's about goalies. They, they knew you were oh. coming on. They had to ask about goalies. Okay. What is the most interesting NHL goalie tandem at the moment? And what is the most interesting goalie moves that could be made in the offseason? Now, do you know what's really interesting to me? Is we're heading into this postseason, and firstly, I've got to do a refresher because the yes. end of whatever NHL season we had feels like years ago. I don't remember exactly <laughs> what was going on, but I do know when we get into this quote-unquote tournament, whatever we want to call it, there's a lot of goalie controversies. Like, who do you start in net in Nashville? I, I think Pittsburgh's going to have a discussion. Um, you know, then of course we have I love uh, this New talk. York, which is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Let's keep going. New York Rangers, which maybe we begin there. Like, do you start the king or do you go with the kid? Okay, I've been asked this on various other uh, platforms and I never hesitate. I know. (laughs) Good one. Uh, It has to be be Hank. It has to be the king. And it's not me being biased at all. It's because the uh, this is a postseason like no other. You don't want to throw a kid, a rookie, a guy that only has a handful of games regular season under his belt and put him in the spotlight in, in the Rangers case, a very short series, best of five. So you have to start the series with Henrik Lundqvist and th- mm-hmm. that's a no-brainer I love um, some of the other decisions you referred to you know other teams and other great tandems um, you got to go with Matt Murray in Pittsburgh same kind mm-hmm. of situation okay two-time Stanley Cup champ known for his timely saves that have turned games around for the Pittsburgh Penguins he doesn't have to be spectacular Okay, and you got us and I feel the same. Maybe, you know, it's just old school Linda talking, but you have to go with Pecorine in a short series. You have to go with a guy that has the most experience and has been there before and knows what it takes. Now, if you drop the opener in a best of five, okay, then you rethink it. Maybe. Uh, depending on if they lost three to two or six nothing, then you make a change. But you gotta go, you gotta lean on the side of experience. All right. And as for interesting moves this offseason as it pertains to goalies, there's two guys I'm interested in about. And one of them is interesting because you just mentioned him as a guy you have to start in the playoffs. But did Pittsburgh make a move with Matt Murray finally? You know, they haven't committed to him long term in a contract. We know they've got depth behind him. Maybe this is Jim Rutherford trying to make a play and getting some more skaters. And another guy that I'm just fascinated by is Robin Lehner. And I was so excited to see what he could do in Vegas in these playoffs. And I think we still will. It's just going to be interesting because he didn't get 
that much time to get acclimated to the new team. And of course, it is Marc-Andre Fleury's team, but he's an unrestricted free agent this summer. Where does he go? He probably deserves a number one shot. In my opinion, I think he's fantastic. But who is going to give him maybe the money he feels he deserves, but more importantly, the length of contract he feels he deserves? Yeah, you have to look around the league and see where, you know, after this season is, this postseason is over and see how the chips fall. Uh, he is a catch. He is a prize. Another guy that's sort of like in the same situation, unless I miss something, uh, same situation as Matt Murray is Braden Holtby, uh, yeah. with Washington Capitals. Also a guy that last I looked hasn't signed a long-term deal, hasn't been offered one. Um, that guy is just an amazing human face of that franchise besides Alex Ovechkin, of course, and John Carlson, but just a, a, a great guy to have in your dressing room and a guy that knows how to make a timely save or two, but there is depth behind him and he's going to be asking for tons of money. And, uh, you got to wonder if the Capitals with some other big stars they have to pay that they're going to be able to shell out money for Brian Holtby. And that's going to be an interesting yeah. situation as well. No, I think the second they made Ilya Samsonov their number two and didn't go with Phoenix Copley, that kind of was the writing on the wall for Braden Holpe. And yeah. you know, they didn't negotiate at all this year. And I'd be curious to see where he ends up because you put him on a team that's half decent and they, he can make them a lot better. All right. Yeah, here's which the last makes question it interesting. Yeah. I just want to throw in something which makes it interesting. Yeah. That you mentioned Robin Leonard. So they're going to be, uh, some real quality choices out there in the offseason for goaltending. Mm. When you think about yeah. who could be out there. So this is uh, our summer. This, this is their summer, the summer of netminders. I love it. Yeah, I'd love if it was known as the summer of that. Unfortunately, we're going to be doing it as the summer of many other things. <laughs> That's right. All right. This is our final question. It's from Rob. Why is nobody talking about the LA Kings? Oh. They went from an untenable cap situation after Stanley Cup glory to now having one of the best prospect systems in the league. Hell of a turnaround coming. Very enthusiastic by Rob. Maybe this is Rob Blake writing. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> Well, uh, I just love to hear from a passionate LA Kings fan. You know, I live in LA yeah. now and, uh, it, they are out there, uh, which was refreshing when I first came out here almost two years ago. And I've been to s many Kings games and it's just, uh, they do a great job at Staples Center. I'm telling you, you've been there. They, they really do, uh, entertainment wise, uh, uh, I love it. I mean, I'm just so impressed. Linda, I have a confession. What? I've never been there. I've never been. Oh my goodness! You need to go. Well, you're, well, as soon as we're allowed in the doors at Staples <laughs> know, Center, know, you're coming, and you're coming with me, and I'll introduce you to Bailey because he's one of the greatest mascots ever, and I love him so much. A mascot uh, so that I, doesn't need a makeover. No, he does not, because he's a can You know, he's a lion. You know, so yeah, he's great. no, he's very so, majestic. Um, yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> but anyway, and I love royalty, of course. So. um <laughs> You know, the thing is, the Kings, yes, kudos to one of my faves, Lou Grobitaille. Uh Just, you know, he's hung in there. Uh, it's unfortunate, uh, but he, they did move up. They did get the second overall pick, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And they'll be able to uh, get a quality defenseman at that number two spot. Um, but, yeah, congrats. I mean, they did a great job. And, you know, it was a process. And these fans are patient uh, and, you know, kudos to them for being patient. But, I mean, are they going to win the Stanley Cup next year? No. But uh, if they can come close to a playoff berth, uh, that would be great. But there's a lot of decisions there regarding some of their veterans that have to be made that can be painful. We'll see how that plays out. 
For sure. And I have to say one thing. I Firstly, I would read an entire like 8,000-word story, maybe by Mark Mulvoy or a sports uh, 30 for 30 on this, the Ilya Kovalchuk experiment there where they land him and he has so many suitors and they're like, this is it, we're going all in. And then they quickly realize it's not going out and cut bait. And I just find that a fascinating hockey maneuver all said and done. But, you know, I do give them credit, like you said. Um, they have developed an incredible prospect pool. Yeah, they'll probably get this Quentin Byfield kid number two. He's supposed to be very good. He's not going to be a star number right away, but he could be the long-term answer uh, to fill the Anze Kopitar role, which if if he's half as good as Anze Kopitar, they're in good shape. All right. Yeah, and, and also yeah. it'd be great because who better to train the guy? You know, to, you know, be a shadow. To your point of Alexei Lafreniere, like I think about Kirby Doc too in Chicago. He was a number three pick, and he gets to come on a team and learn from Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane, and doesn't have the pressure of getting that spotlight every day. It's probably the same situation for those kids in L.A. Well, absolutely, and that that's why it, that's why again getting back to earlier in, in what we spoke about, I just love the fact that you know these top picks will have a shot to not be the man, you know, and, and yeah. don't underestimate what that does uh, to a guy's psyche. And I always bring back Jack Eichel, one of my favorites. And, you know, look how much. And by the way, how long has it been? Like, what, five years since he was drafted? I, I It's yeah. just it, now look at this transition and all these head coaches he's had and how he's had to carry a team on his back. So, yes, you're right um, to have these guys be able to learn and blend in with current uh, stars, it will go a long way in their maturation. Awesome. And now it's time for Puck Headlines. Dateline Bruce Boudreau. The Bruce Boudreau and really all Minnesota whisperer, Michael Russo, obviously a fantastic reporter. He caught up with the uh, ex-Wild coach. And what's funny is that when Bruce Boudreau came to the Wilds, he told everyone, this is going to be my last stop. It obviously didn't end well. And now he's saying he wants another chance behind the bench in the NHL. Linda, do you think he's going to get one? He's one of my favorites. You you know, this guy is so real, so likable. I've been fortunate to have several conversations with him in person. And he's just just real. And I love people that are Mm. real, not phonies. And it's hard to find that because, you know, in today's world, many of these people, whether it's head coaches or GMs, they're kind of polished and you really yep. can't try. I mean, you you come in contact with this kind of stuff all the time. You know a phony when you see one. And Bruce is not. And I root for Bruce Boudreaux. And I remember him, obviously, when he was uh, Ducks head coach. And he did such a great job there. And, and it seems like he, he has a limit, according to these GMs who have tired of him. And they go, eh, you know, you haven't taken us as far. But the situation with the Wild, he really did not have a lot of talent there. He did not have Stanley Mm-mm. Cup. Uh, a group of players that can win a Stanley Cup, let alone get to a final. This wasn't on Bruce. He did his best. Uh, I love that. I love his press conferences too. Um, you know, he's like Torts in a way. You know, those are the two. I think those are kind of head coaches. Obviously, that I I have my heart uh, goes to them first because they say what's on their mind, or they uh, exit from the podium before they get themselves in trouble. So I hope Bruce gets another head coaching job. It's not going to be a recycled situation. I know there'll be a lot of people that be like, oh, you know, we're just recycling head coaches. Bruce has tremendous talent, and I hope he gets another shot. 
And you talked about him as a real one. You know, he was an extra in Slapshot, and to the point, he even taught Paul Newman how to take a Slapshot when he was on set. Like, this guy is a total original. Actually, when I first started covering the league, on a personal note, it was a summer, and it was so hard to just jump in in the summer whenever I was on vacation. And the first coach I remember who I got the cell phone number of, because I wrote a story about him, was Bruce Boudreau. And I remember he was just so kind and was like, call me anytime. And that was the exact moment where I was like, oh, I think I could do this job. Everyone's so nice. Of course not. <laughs> and then what Bruce, happened? But <laughs> then you yeah, realized exactly. that. <laughs> Four years later, a little hardened, but uh, it was yeah. nice. All right, that's great. Zayline Hockey Diversity Alliance. Nice. Yeah, so, you know, we had Matt Dumba on last week to talk about it, and this group of guys really trying to change the game for the better. They released a video on um, un- uninterrupted this week, and in it, Evander Kane had this quote that I thought was fascinating. He said, hockey is by far the greatest game. It's the hardest sport. I think we as athletes deserve to be paid the most. Why is it that we aren't? Part of that issue, and a big part, is that we are not a diverse sport. When you hear him say that, what do you think? Yeah, great quote. I mean, all the guys that are in this group, amazing. Evander Kane has been uh, amazing. Uh, Dumba has been amazing. And, you know, uh, a lot of it has to do with, you know, the, this is just a fact, all right? It costs a lot of money for kids to play hockey, right? Mm-hmm. You have to have that income to pay for these this equipment. I wish there was a way, and maybe that's something. And that's something that I've always looked into. I've got to figure out how to do it. But um, that would be a good way to raise money to get uh, hockey equipment to youngsters so they can look at hockey players as true role models. And I know hockey hmm. players have no problem being role models, unlike maybe other professional oh, no. athletes, right? And if, mm-hmm. if, you know, if guys like Kane, Dumba, uh, you name it, can be role models to young kids who maybe cannot afford, you know, Wayne Simmons, Trevor Daly, Nazem Kadri, all these guys who are very active in this, you know, Anthony DeClaire, Chris Stewart, they're all amazing. Um, I just feel that the, they have to keep this momentum going. And I love that Gary Bettman and Bill Daly are open to all this. And you're mm-hmm. not hearing anything negative about this. They want to help. The league wants to help. But uh, if I had uh, one, you know, a uh, piece of advice, and I think this incredible group knows this already. Uh, even when the games start, you have to keep pounding. You have to keep pounding the message. Uh, don't put it on the back burner. Um, the timing is now uh, more than ever, and this is, you know, this is the time to improve the situation uh, of what's going on. But I like what they're doing. I like that they did this, and I like the fact that they have the support of players that, um, you know, are, are, are white. Let's they face it, are white. Right. Thank yep. you. And, and that, and they're not going anywhere unless they have that. And that's sad because they would be typecast. And just like in the other leagues, uh, that has been a key factor, especially in the NFL. You see that when Tom Brady got behind a cause or, you know, this kind of, you need the white players to, to be part of this and push like all pulling, you know, a good hockey term is they're pulling from one rope. That's what has to happen here. And I believe it will. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with every single thing you just said. And the only thing I want to point out with this is I put this quote on Twitter and people got all upset. Oh, well, the reason God, hockey are players aren't me? paid. And they said the reason hockey players aren't paid the most is because of the economics of it. How could it be so stupid? It's not popular. No, the point he's trying to make is yes, of course, that's not, not why they're paid the most. But 
if you expand the reach of hockey, you expand its audience, you expand the player pool, then it becomes more popular, then it becomes more, you know, profitable, then these players can be paid the most. So it's all related in my mind. How do you think the NBA became uh, a billion, super billion dollar billions in players are getting mega millions of being the, you know, last guy on the bench. How do you think that happened? They started to promote personalities. Yep. They started to promote players and every yep. NHL player that I have talked with, and I'm sure you have had these same conversations is the fact that players are not promoted. Personalities are not brought out, uh, on a, on a lesser scale. And I always bring this up when I talk about, you know, the decades I've spent, I'm approaching my 28th year on ESPN on July 1st. And I always talk about until they allowed us to show off our personalities on SportsCenter or started showing or making these fun SportsCenter commercials, that was when the growth of the product known as SportsCenter really skyrocketed. Because our personalities were allowed to be shown that we were all different and that people connected with each and every one of us, some more than others. You know, that's why there's still to this day such an incredible uh, following for the late, uh, great and my good friend Stuart Scott, because Mm -hmm. ESPN allowed his personality to come out and be who he is and the legendary status and what he left behind at such an early age uh, spoke volumes to those uh, African-Americans who have gotten into the broadcasting business because of Stuart Scott. So it's, there are similarities there, and that is what the alliance is trying to say as well. Those personalities, the NHL needs to promote these guys um, you know, in Evander Kane's case, I mean, ESPN, the magazine has done great stuff with him. Like, you know, hello, the body issue. You know, I think I remember he that. He naked. Yes, yes. Yes, exactly. But, you know, but you know what I'm saying? But now there's a, a more serious note. Um, there are platforms. And I think you just have to keep pounding. I love that correlation you made between Sports Center and the showing off the personalities in the NHL. I think it's spot. Like, imagine if you had the audacity to tell Stuart Scott, hey, just read the news just as it is. Like, we would have been robbed of this great gift of his personality and his warmth, and it just would have been a shame. Dateline, Steve Eiserman's snark. Max Boltman, he's a reporter who covers the Red Rings for The Athletic, tweeted this. Underrated moment in the Eiserman press conference is when he was talking about how no teams have testing they normally would have gotten in the combine. And Eiserman said, every team but one, actually. Now, he's clearly talking about the Arizona Coyotes, who are still under investigation by the NHL with these scouting, cheating allegations. I guess, Linda, my question to you is, have you followed the story at all? And do you care? Because everyone in the NHL is up in arms about it. Does, does the average fan care and should they? Um, I, you know, listen, I love Steve Eiserman. He could say whatever he wants and he's very good at using his words without getting in trouble, which is what he yep. did after this draft lottery thing. Um, yep. but, <laughs> but, uh, I don't think, uh, I don't think a lot of people are paying attention to this. Um, this is not like a, you know, a Patriots uh, situation at all because there is no history here. And, uh, but I would not be surprised if the NHL, uh, does set a precedent here, uh, and, and, you know, makes a statement and has to do something because you are hearing within the hockey community and within hockey circles, as you just mentioned, Emily, 
um, people are concerned and this should not go on. And so in that being said, the league needs to do something so this does not become a trend. Well, Linda, I can't believe this is over because it was so much fun. I, I cannot thank you enough for agreeing to do this. Firstly, you said yes within minutes and I was so humbled. Thank you. That, that's all I have to say. This is just like a great privilege for me. Oh, that's so kind of you. Um, listen, I, I jumped at it because I love what you do, Emily. You're so great at it. You're real. Uh, you're you just and you love the game. You're passionate. And, you know, Greg has to go on vacation sometimes. So thank you for asking me. And uh, I look forward to the next time um, that I'm on it. I love what both of you do. And I'm so glad you're uh, big voices here at ESPN. Oh, well, we have the biggest voice in you, and we're so grateful for everything you've done for hockey fans everywhere and, and just being a champion of the sport on Sports Center. Now, you get to do And in the crease. Ideas. Hopefully, we can get in, you know, when we have okay. hockey, we'll have in the crease back as well on I was going to ask. Plus. I didn't know if I could ask. Is, is yes, you're, I'm telling you, you again? can ask. It is. It will be okay. back as long as hockey's back. That's awesome. I love watching in the crease. It is, I think, the best hockey highlight show, period. Um, let alone in the U.S., and you can get it on ESPN Plus after every game night, correct? That is correct, and all day the next day. And what I love about it, besides, you know, working with Barry Melrose, is the fact, you know, it, it it's highlight-driven. It's no blah, blah, blah. I mean, we just get right to it, and we dig into the highlights, and you have great analysis during the highlights, and sometimes we get great interviews, and, and but it's mostly highlight-driven. It's like the old days of NHL Tonight, which is why I gravitated toward it. I love it. Well, it's going to be even better when the Fab Five listens to this podcast. They hear the beginning of it. They know they need to go do Barry's wardrobe before you guys begin again, <laughs> so you're in for a treat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Linda, here's where you get to do, we both get to say bye at the end, so you can do it in your most obnoxious voice ever. You ready? Yep. One, two, three, bye! 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 This has been ESPN on Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts. Geico knows there are many reasons why you ride. From the thrill of the revving engine and pure adrenaline of flying down the highway to the confidence of knowing that Geico always has your back with 24-7 access to claim service. But Ari Snyder has one reason in particular. I had extremely large upper arms. They won't even fit into most shirts. Thankfully, biking really embraces vest culture, so I feel accepted. Geico Motorcycle. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.